0: The highest mountain peak in Western Europe is in southern Germany, just north of Austria. And in German, it's called Der Zugspitze. And uh, let try to say that 10 times. And it's not the most beautiful language I understand, uh, but it is describing a place that as I've had the chance to travel to many different countries, many different places, it's got to be one of the most prettiest, beautiful, awe-inspiring places that that I've had a chance to Uh, visit. We visited there back in 1998 in the summer, Um, and to get to the top, you get to take a cable car all the way up to the top of the mountain, and uh, and you kind of disembark out of the cable car into this area that this is a really large viewing deck. Uh, There's a coffee shop up there, places to sit, and you can look in every direction and just take in the panoramic views, uh, the awe-inspiring views of the Alps. It's just absolutely stunning. And as you walk around on one side, I remember as you come off the cable car, it was to your left, um, you could actually see the peak of the mountain, uh, Zugspitze, you could uh, see the the top of the mountain. And they put this big gold pole with this ornate, beautiful cross at the top of the pole. um, And and that was the mountain peak. And as you continued down that way, there's actually a pathway that allows you to go out onto the mountain where you can make the ascent to the, the final ascent and climb up the peak. And I don't know what got into me, but that particular day, because I am deeply, I mean, I have a deep, 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 did I say deep fear of heights? I mean, I can't even change Christmas lights. I can't get on the roof to change Christmas. My, my knees start to bug off. I start to get queasy. I mean, it's really, really, really bad. Uh, and, and I've got a particularly bad case of this. I don't know what got into me this day, but I decided I'm going to conquer my fear and I'm going to ascend to the pinnacle of the Zugspitze. And so I have a picture of it, of the, the climb that we uh, had to make. Now, as you walk out on the path, there's this there's, there's this picture, it's not shown here, but um, there's a sign and it has a scalding crossbones on it back in the day. And it said, in German, danger, going past this point, danger of death. And so I had to kind of swallow hard and thought, Okay, I'm going for it, but, but there you go. And so you kind of go up that steep face and then you hit where you have to go up that ladder. But do you see down below where there's about four people standing? There's a little ledge there. I sat on that ledge for about 10 minutes, just wrestling with my fear. Am I going to do this or not? Am I really going to try to conquer my fear? And so I made it up just clinging to that wire as you kind of go up to the, to the ladder. And then when you get on the ladder, looking off to the right shoulder, it's at least 1,000 foot straight down drop. I mean, it was really harrowing. And so then you get to that one point, then you make the final ascent all the way up to the top. And uh, I just had to make sure that my mind wasn't playing tricks on me. I went to our family photo book last night and there was a picture of me standing next to the gold cross, I made it. Um, I thought I chickened out at the top, but no, I, I, I did make it. And so I was really happy about that. But then when I got to the top, to my horror, I realized something, I had to get back down. I mean, the descent is much harder than the ascent. In one way or another, you're coming down. And uh, fortunately, I came down in one piece. And uh, so all excited that I had conquered my fear and that I had uh, risen to the ascent of of the the, Zugspitze, I greeted my family. And uh, one of my uh, daughters, my six-year-old at the time, Katie, looked at me with those big baby blue eyes, and she said, Daddy why were you shaking so much on the mountain? (laughs) So I guess I was on the ladder doing this. It was, but I did it. All right. So what is it about adventure? What is it uh, about kind of entering into the great adventure that calls us out of ourselves, out of our fears, out of our complacencies and compels us to enter in? What is it that is in us that wants to accomplish great things? to design grand and beautiful cityscapes, to make great and beautiful paintings, to build organizations that make a difference in the lives of people? What is it that causes us to get up and walk across the room and and to put ourselves out there to try to reach out and love other people? What compels us towards mission? Helen Keller, um, who overcame insurmountable odds having been born deaf, dumb and blind. Her story is featured in the movie, The Miracle Worker. Um, She said this, life is either a great adventure or it is nothing. And I just think God put this in us. In fact, I think that's what the scripture teaches. We were designed with a mission in mind to join our father in the work that he's doing. And as we do, I think We will enter into life that goes beyond our wildest imagination. And if you're looking for personal fulfillment, try entering into the very thing that God made you for, his mission. Zach, in our last series before Africa Sunday, um, was talking about the Good Samaritan. And in it, he reminded us that God himself is the one who's on a mission, and he's invited us to join him. And he described the mission of God this way. And I really, really like this. He says, the mission is to invite people into the way of grace. That's our mission. Inviting people into the way of grace and rejecting the way of nature. Isn't that good? The scripture says, the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all. And so we're to enter into inviting people to come to know God and to fall in love with God so that they love him with their entire heart, mind, soul, their, their, all their strength, and then to love our neighbor as ourself. We're to invite people into that way of grace, and we're to reject our human response, our base nature, that self-centeredness that we have, and that's what God calls us to. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be studying Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, and we're gonna be asking the question, how can I know God's mission for my life? To understand that, as we just saying, we need to understand what the mission is, and then we're asking the question, what's my part in that? What has God designed and wired me up for? So we're gonna look at three aspects and how we get there, all right, over the next three weeks. And it's going to involve our head, our heart, and then our hands and our feet. In other words, it's going to involve our intellect, our reason, our logic, our emotion, and our will. And so today, as we enter in, um, just remember that, that God is already working. And we're going to look at the role that our logic, that our reason, that knowing plays in us discovering the mission of God. Let's go ahead and read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 together. This is going to be fun setting this over the next couple of weeks. And the key determining God's will is actually seen in, in the phrase, but, don't, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we want to talk about today. So what happens when we get in, take on the responsibility of how we think? of changing how we think, of allowing our thinking to be renewed by God. What's the result? Well, you can see, it says once we do that, we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. One translation is basically the idea that we'll be able to discern and understand God's will. So when we don't go by the way of the world, by the way of nature, but we enter into the way of grace and we walk in basically renewing our minds with a way of grace, you'll be able to understand God's will for you. That's how we do it. And so today we really wanna take the opportunity to start by saying, what do I need to know so that it can impact ultimately who I become and what I do? Now, you might ask at this point, Jeff, do I really need to renew my mind? I mean, come on, really? Well, the answer is yes, yes, we do. There's a reason why God has us in the scripture. And that reason is, is that we don't think like God thinks. We are very limited. There's only so much. We are finite people. And in the grand scheme of the size and the vastness of the universe, which helps our minds to understand the vastness of God and that he's eternal way beyond the universe that he created, that we're just this only so much between These two six inches between my two fingers here can really comprehend about God. And so it takes a a, a sense of humility, knowing that we have limits, that we have flaws, that we have imperfections, and that God is perfect and holy and limitless in his knowledge. Truth is, we have something to learn from God. There's a verse in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We need to come to the point where we acknowledge our need for God. We need his wisdom. We need his grace. We need him to teach us. And this, the beginning point, is humility and reverence, i.e. respect for God. You see, reverence always precedes revelation. And so if you want to know God's will for your life, it begins by approaching God with seeing your sense of need, with an open mind and asking him to shape your thinking. And as you do, he will reveal what his will is to you. And he'll shape your thoughts and keep shaping your thoughts until it changes you completely. This is the process that he calls us to. Now, for me, one thing that I've learned, because I can get to this point and and I've been in the habit of reminding myself, but I can easily lose this perspective. I mean, I can open up my Bible in the morning and I can spend time with God and I can get these great thoughts of God and I feel like I'm learning uh, about him and about his love for me and about his mission for my life. And, And no sooner do I jump in my car and I encounter that guy on the expressway and I forget I'm a Christian. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing how quickly I can get out of alignment. I mean, it, just, it can just happen like that. It reminds me of a car that I owned um, a few years back. It was my first and only luxury uh, car. It was actually an SUV. It was a brand spanking new Mac Daddy Lincoln Navigator. I mean, this thing was awesome. And so for my whole life, I had not driven cars for show. I drove cars, and still do, drive cars for functionality. All right, If it's reliable, um, if it gets me from here to there, if it's cheap, um, if it's affordable, um, that, that's, that's the car that I'm drawn to. And, uh, but at this particular time, I was working for a local company here in Orlando. And uh, I was training to be the president of the company. And so I went out to lunch with the owner and he wanted to kind of give me an update and things were going great. He said, but I do want to talk to you about the car that you're driving. He said, you know, at that time I was in an old Honda Accord and I was trying to get 250,000 miles out of it because that's what I think those cars can do. And uh, you know, so it was, you know, it was reliable, it was affordable, it was cheap. And, um, and he said, can't have you driving up to our clients and taking them out to lunch and this thing. He goes, so I want you to go out and, and get yourself an SUV and sign the lease. Um, we'll pay for the lease. We'll pay for the insurance. We'll pay for gas. We'll pay for tolls, the whole deal. Just submit your expenses every month. Uh, but we got you to get you, get you in a different car. And so I remember driving that baby awful a lot. Oh, my gosh. It just felt like you're riding on air. The premium sound, I'm sure I had Boston cranked as loud as I could. You know, it's just, it's just fantastic. I mean, this thing was the, just plush and comfortable. If I could have put a bathroom in it, I would have moved in. I mean, it's just, it's just that, that beautiful. And uh, so I really enjoyed this first uh, entry into the luxury car models. And, um, but no sooner that had I been driving this thing that I just noticed eh, I wanted to pull it right. Every time I was going down the expressway, I just kind of pulled it right. So I had to fight it, pull it. So I you know, took that for only so long. I took it in the dealership. Yeah, okay, we'll do an alignment. They aligned it. And uh, i drive it off a lot. A couple days later, boom, start pulling to the right. I can't tell you the number of times that I took that thing back over to the dealership on Colonial and had them realign that car. I mean, it just, for the years of the lease, it just, it never was right. Well, we're kind of like that Lincoln Navigator, aren't we? Um, we can easily get out of alignment. We can lose our alignment with God, and uh, and, and it, for me, it's just it can happen that quickly. So the next car that I bought, I bought a lifetime alignment with it. So every time I take it in, I just say, "Hey, you do the alignment on it." All right? We need to kind of get into that habit of being a, a lifetime alignment with God where we get in the habits of of aligning our thinking to think like he thinks. And it can be a daily discipline that we all enter into. Well, let me talk to you now practically about how we can know God's will for our lives, how we can enter into renewing our minds. And I have three suggestions, three steps for us to take. All right, here's the first one. The first step that we can regularly take in renewing our minds is to focus on God and all that he's done for us and to get in this regular habit of doing this. One of my favorite places to go, when I know that I need to have my soul filled with what God thinks about me and his love for me, is Ephesians, and we studied this book this summer. And so I can't go into great detail here, but just let me give you a couple of highlights of the things you will encounter and the things that you will learn as you study Ephesians. The first thing is that God's love for us is so big that we can't even begin to comprehend it. And his pursuit of your heart and your soul is relentless. God loves you with an infinite, perfect, and pure love that has nothing to do with your performance. It's all based on his grace and his character. This means God will never get tired of you. God will never get bored with you. God will never turn you in for a better model. God will never change on you. He'll never bait and switch you. You see, the truth is, he loves you with a love you can't even begin to comprehend. You matter to God, and he is crazy about you. Not because of what you've done, not because of what you do, but because he loves you that much and you are held in high esteem in his eyes. Another thing that you'll learn is that we are completely and perpetually forgiven by God as we come to Christ. In God's eyes, you are never defined by your past. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what cesspool you feel like you've come out of. God doesn't see you that way. God doesn't define you that way. The world may want to label you and put a scarlet letter on you, but not our God. Our God says that he makes all things new, and he makes you new creation in Christ Jesus. And when he sees you, you're perfect and holy and desirable in his eyes. That's how completely forgiven we are. The psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed your sins from you, and he sees you as totally acceptable in Christ. We'll also learn as you focus on what God teaches us there in Ephesians that we're adopted into his family. This means we are sons and daughters with full inheritance as children of God. It means that we have 24-7 access to God as he sits in his throne room of grace. And we're never an interruption. We're never an inconvenience. 24-7, every time you enter into the room, God lights up. It says that he shouts over you with shouts of joy in Zephaniah 317. And he delights when you look to him. This is the God that we serve. This is the kind of thing that we learn as we open up the scriptures. Doesn't that help? That's a great way to start every day. Let me encourage you, perhaps this week, read Ephesians one, two, and three. It'll take you five to seven minutes and see if that doesn't help your knowing about our God because it's the beginning of the renewing of our minds that he calls us to that is essential for us to know him and his will for our life. Now, not only does God want us to know and experience his love for us, he also wants us and invites us to join him in his mission. Uh, to care about the things that he cares about. And so this leads us to the second step, all right, that we need to not only come to God and learn about him, God invites us to learn about and to apply ourselves to know about the people and the world around us and the world, the greater context in which we live. And this takes also learning on our part. We see a great example of this, because if we're gonna get swept up into God's mission, we've gotta learn to start to become others-oriented, to feel and think what they're feeling and thinking. We see in Acts 17, the Apostle Paul, um, who wrote much of the New Testament and is responsible as a missionary to take the gospel to all these different places. It's wonderful the story as it unfolds in the book of Acts and what a prominent role this guy plays. And so we see Paul in Acts 17, bringing the gospel to Athens, Greece. Now, Paul comes from a Jewish culture, which is so different than Greek culture. So Paul describes what he did when he got there. He spent some time learning. He wanted to get the information so that he could know the people that he was caring about in relating the gospel to. So he learned about how they worship. He learned about the objects of their worship. He learned about what they thought about um, how they arrived at truth. He learned about their worldview. Why? So that he could relate the love of God to them in a way that they could understand and the way that they could relate to. And so God's calling us to be similar in that regard, to look outside of ourselves, to look at other people. And, and, And this takes some work. You see this especially when you go cross-culturally, but guess what? Cross-culturally is here and now, and not everybody in the world looks at the world the way you do. Not everybody's had the experiences you do. All right? And you may think you're right, and you may think other people are wrong, but that's the wrong place to start. Let me encourage you, let me call you to humility that you might try to get inside the life of another person, the view of another person, to see what they see, to think and hear what they think, and to feel what they feel. Don't just assume that you know, but to apply yourself um, so that you can really get to the point where you're actually learning about them And in your learning, as Gary said last week, I just love this, is we'll keep looking and we'll keep learning until we know enough to care. That's really important. Now this is where it can get really tricky uh, because you will see far more needs if you'll open your eyes than you can do, all right? We live, especially in this day and age that we live, we live in a digitally plugged in world. Where through our cell phones, alerts are hitting all the time if you've got any kind of news hooked up to your phone. And, and, and between social media and everything, I mean, as tragedy unfolds around the world, we can be experiencing it live. We can be experiencing it from what the people are going through. And, and, and I do. I've got different news uh, alerts that hit my phone. And I can't tell you how amazed I am at how frequently those things hit my phone. You see, we get bombarded with way more information than we can truly have the capacity to even care about. We weren't built for that much tragedy. We just can't take it. All right, And so there's a phrase that people have to describe this. This is called compassion fatigue. That we sooner or later become anesthetized to it. We become numb to to the things going on around us. And we hear this latest tragedy and the 24-hour news cycle moves on and another one comes and we don't know how to feel. So we we stop feeling. We become frozen. We become numb. And I wanna encourage you today to first of all be aware of this and then secondarily to fight through it, to keep looking and learning. And here's something that might help you. And it's again, Something that Gary said last week that I just latched onto, I found so helpful. You see, I think what will help you with this is God knows you can't do everything. So once you agree with God, renew your mind. You can't do it all, right? But he can, so we leave that up to him. But God invites us to do something. And so as you begin to lock in as to what that something may be, that's where you focus your learning. That's where you focus your your empathy in, in, in finding out more about what's happening in the world around you. Now you need more than just a cursory knowledge, all right? This is something you wanna apply yourself to. I worked for an electrician and I got a cursory knowledge of being an electrician because I was just the gopher guy, all right? Hey, hand me this tool, run out to the truck, I need this. Uh, run up to the supply shop, we ran out of this. And, and you know I was just kinda handing stuff and, and running around. All right, but I was there long enough. I did this for four summers that, that you know, I could observe. I could ask questions. You know, I could kind of uh, strip the wires and kind of put it all together. I, I could take some basic steps, right? Um, but I just knew just a little bit, enough to be dangerous. Right? And so I, don't call me, by the way, to rewire your house. It would be a disaster. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be very good at it. So God wants us to not just have a cursory knowledge, but to learn enough to care. And you can tell your learning is working when you're caring enough to do something about it, when you care enough to act. And that's when you can tell that, hey, my learning is moving me towards the thing God wants me to do. Now, the final thing we can do in renewing our minds is to know that God can and will work through you. And I am particularly passionate about this point this morning. As I look at this room full of people that have assembled here to worship God and ask God to speak into your life, I just am overwhelmed by the potential that exists here. But I know this, I know that we're not beginning to tap the potential that the church has and that many, many Christians are still on the sidelines Having done this a long time, over 30 years now of pastoring, I know the single greatest reason why people don't believe or don't try to do something for God and enter into the mission he has for them is because of fear. You feel inadequate. And I get that, all right? I'll tell you a story in just a minute. But we feel we don't know the word well enough or what if i get asked that question that i don't have, know the answer to then or i don't want to be weird i don't want to be that person i mean that really and or we're afraid that we won't follow through on our commitments that we don't have the time we don't have the energy and, and we have all of these reasons that keep us from really being willing to to know that god will use us and to enter in so we sit on the sidelines well let me give you two verses again from ephesians that God has used time and again to help me to know that he can use me, because that's where it all begins. And if I know it, maybe eventually, it'll change the way I think enough to where it'll change how I act. The first one is Ephesians 2.10 that says, God created us before the foundation of the earth, of the world, good works that we might walk in them. Did you hear that? I mean, before God created the world, He had you in mind. And not only did he have you in mind, he had good works that he designed you for. He placed you in this time and in this place of history that you could join him in his mission. That's powerful stuff. In Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21, now to him who's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works mightily within us, to him be the glory to God and in the church, for, uh, to, uh, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Do you hear that verse? God is able to do far more exceeding abundantly beyond your wildest thought beyond all that you could ask or think. In other words, dream of the most craziest thing that you could do for God. God's able to do more according to his power that will work through you. What a promise. That'll get you started if you'll just meditate and think about those two truths. For me, I had a bad case. I mean, a bad case of feeling inadequate, but I encountered these promises And I just thought about it and I procrastinated for four months. I was a senior in my college uh, at, at University of Michigan. And so in January, I just knew. God wanted me to step through my fears. You see, I not only have a fear of heights, I had this horrible fear of speaking in front of people, or I had. And, and, and it was so bad that I would cut many of my classes because I was afraid they'd call on me, and then you have to speak in front of people. And so I would argue with God. God, in a Bible study, you gotta talk, and you gotta talk in front of people, and I'm not real kind of keen on that. And uh, But I knew God just kept coming after me, so I just pulled out some poster board, a black magic marker, and said... Bible study, 10 p.m., Michigan House Lounge. And I prayed all day that no one would come. Uh, and uh, I showed up a few minutes early, and I walked in the room. My friend Mike Forrester was there. And, uh, and I said, Mike, I, I, I've got the, I didn't know he was a Christian. I've got the room reserved tonight for a Bible study. He goes, yeah, you know, I know. I'm here for that. And I was oh, that means we've got to have it now. And uh, that night, 10 people came. It was the world's worst Bible study, still unsurpassed to this day. I mean, it was bad. I I talked and talked and talked. My questions didn't make sense. I was sweating profusely. It was not a pretty sight. The next week, 12 people came. And by the end of that semester, I was concurrently leading three different studies with 50 people involved and led so many of my friends to Christ. It wasn't because I was any good. I didn't barely know the word. I was just coming back to Christ. Christ. I just put myself out there and I believed the promises. It started by knowing that God could use me. And he used me in a way that I had no idea. It went way beyond my wildest expectation. Let me encourage you. I wanna see the potential of this room unleashed. God will use you. I know it to the core of my soul. And I wanna see that happen. You and I, we were created to join God in his mission. And it is by far the best way to live and to have an abundant life. And so my encouragement today is to discover that mission. It begins with knowing, it begins with learning. Get informed and then think about it deeply and regularly and keep thinking about it until it changes you completely. Well, I got a couple of things I want you to do this week, just small assignments. The first one I've already mentioned, let me invite you to read Ephesians one, two and three, take five to seven minutes and, and, and off you go. Just see what it does to your thinking uh, about yourself and about God. And the second thing I want you to do is just start to practice, a real simple thing you can do, to practice on cultivating being others-oriented in your thinking, all right? And and so I just wanna encourage you to to ask somebody genuinely and sincerely, how are you doing today? Whether it's your spouse, whether it's your children, whether it's the people you work with, whether it's a stranger on the street, I don't know. Just every day, ask one person, "How, how are you doing today? And then listen, and listen intently and see what God teaches you through these things. And then finally, let me encourage you to come back next week, as Gary continues um, to lead us in this series, as we look at the role that our heart and that our emotions play in discovering the will of God. Let's look to him. Father, I wanna thank you for the opportunity to look to your word. I wanna thank you, Lord, for the people that are here today. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to apply ourselves to do what you're calling us to do here in in Romans 12, 1 and 2, to regularly engage in the practice of renewing our minds, Lord, to inform our understanding, to inform our reason, to inform our logic so that eventually, Lord, it will lead us to care and that we might care enough to act and to step out by faith and to trust you, Lord, to be swept up in the great adventure and the mission that you have for each one of us. So I pray all these things in the risen and powerful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's him we serve, amen.